0: Way Hi-Fi Podcast. A few episodes ago, we did an entire episode on the history of library music. Hopefully, you listened to that, because today we have an interview with one of the people behind a new documentary about library music and its golden age. His name is Paul Elliott, and he and Sean Lambert and Sean Lee came up with the idea to make this documentary three years ago and it is now finally ready and will be debuting on October 6th in the UK. Hopefully soon it will be coming to the States so that we can all view it in a cinema. They'll also be releasing a soundtrack, double vinyl of songs that were inspired by the movie and we will be putting up a link so that you can pre-order that and it'll be posted on our Facebook page. And now uh, we, we are so excited about this interview and we're so appreciative to Paul. He really knows a ton about library music and he had he had 3 years to interview people who were behind the music, who played the music and DJs who are using the music sampling. And it is from everything we've seen, it is an amazing film and we cannot wait to watch it. I hope you guys enjoy this. Paul is a great a great storyteller. Great uh just Clearly, super excited about library music and kind of obsessed with it. Like, it's so easy to be. Here is that interview.
1: Let me get it straight. I've got I've got Joe on the left of my screen. With, um, with Ryan, um, Ryan's,
2: and, Ryan's. the handsome with the beard.
1: Oh yeah, cool yeah. Whoa, was me. <laughs> okay, good, well, good to meet you both, anyway.
0: You as well, Bob. Oh, well, nice you. Thank you so much for doing this. This is really nice. How did you guys, oh, I was looking into that hut, to hut your Hut 29, how did you guys get that started?
1: Yeah, Hut 29 is, is myself and, and Sean Lambeth. Yeah. Um, we we went to film college together, film school, and we were based in this little hut. It, we, we, the, the, the film course didn't have enough funding to actually have it in the main building. We had this old... 1960s hut out sort of on the ground somewhere um and it was terrible the course was terrible and uh (laughs) you know there was no funding so there was was, i mean it was freezing cold in there um but they just let us get on with what we wanted to do so we used to just kind of you know you'd get this brief and we just you know do whatever we wanted we'd break in at the weekends and and carry on making stuff and doing you know extra bits and and when and then we both left there and went off and, and did different things. I, I was working in music, and Sean was working on uh, TV. Um, he was working on things like EastEnders, if you know that is. Oh yeah, yeah, just, I do. Yeah. So he was doing stuff like that, and uh, and I was I was making records and, and working in studios and and, and stuff like that. Um, and then by chance, we got both got a job doing um, some uh, TV film stuff for um, for news reports. And it just so happened that we knew each other, and I was recording the sound, and he was on camera. Um, and we said, Oh, you know, we should really do something else because we started making music videos and bits and pieces for friends of ours that were in bands. And we didn't have a name. So it was, oh, well, this is called Hut 29, because that was uh, <laughs> the hut uh, that, uh, that we studied in. Um, yeah.
0: Well, what school, what school did you guys go to?
1: Oh, it's a, t- a really terrible. Awful one. I'm not going to mention. Okay. The name. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> As their film school
2: in a hut. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. But it worked, it worked out because we managed, you know, to, to, to make some good stuff along the way, and 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 now we've done this, which is uh, which is great. So we, the the, the, you know, the idea for this, the initial idea was that, um, or even before the idea uh, for this film, we were making another documentary, myself and Sean, uh, about a record producer called Youth. Um, and we were, we, were, uh, we were interviewing people that, that youth had worked with. And one of those people was, was, was Paul McCartney. Okay. So we're in this interview with Paul McCartney and he starts making up this song in this interview. Just you know, He says, oh, you know, we used, to, we used to get into the studio and we'd do this and I'd play piano and then I'd get a bass and I'd play a bass and then we'd do this and that. And so to kind of illustrate this, I said to Sean Lambeth, we should get Sean Lee, who I was friends with, I'm friends with, to play the parts that Paul McCartney's singing so when he says got a bass we got Sean to play the bass and when he said then I played some piano he, you know Sean played the piano so we did that and while we were while we were shooting it uh, sort of in between um, getting another shot Sean Sean Lee said I've got this great idea for a film and I said oh what's that then he says yeah, you know library music let's make a film about library music and I said nah <laughs> <laughs> And, and Sean Lambert said, what's library music? Yeah, he didn't even know. So we went away and we carried on working on that and other things. And then I was working on my own um, on a project and I was stuck in a hotel room on my own for a week. And so I was trying to occupy my time and remembered that Sean had said this. So I got on the Internet and was I was looking up library music and, and you know, different bits and pieces and found some interviews with people and found some little websites and things that people had done, but never found anything of sort of real substance. Right. I never found a film. I saw some interviews with Alan Hawkshaw online that uh, that people like Strutt had done, um, but never found a film. So I phoned up Sean Lee and said, you know that idea you got? Yeah yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so Man. Yeah, so
0: come. what a great idea. That's something that um we had I had been well we had been wanting to do like a history of library music since we started this like a year ago and we couldn't find anything about the history of it anywhere and then all of a sudden there's um we found information about your documentary coming out and then there's that other book that unusual sounds book comes out it's those two combined really help a lot but pretty weird that they would come out at around the same time too did that
1: yeah i mean I'm i'm not sure what happened really i don't know whether whether we just everybody had this idea at the same time or whether there was something sort of Bubbling up, and, and we were on. We were on the same. I don't know what happened. But in, in, yeah, I mean, in, in the last three years since we've been making this, there's a lot of people talking about Library. There's a lot of people playing Library. There's a lot more people interested in it. Um, I mean, it, it, things of things like the KPM thousand series reaching right. the thousandth, Uh yeah. so, they re- they, so they recorded an album with the old guys that we were there to film. That, that a little bit of that's in the film that kind of happened while we were making this film and then uh, the david hollander book was uh, was bubbling away in the background while we were doing it and then there's a there's another book about robin phillips
0: oh really um, that's i'm really interested in that guy <laughs> yeah. well he,
1: he he was he was like an amazing character robin phillips i mean a real visionary and somebody that really kind of created this business you know it was it was happening before him and it's it's happened after him but but he did something that that was really special and and kind of made like it didn't he didn't make it mainstream because it was never mainstream but but he made it more appealing i think and uh, made it more appealing for for film companies and tv companies to use that music and he kind of repackaged it in in a way that was uh, easily obtainable and usable for editors and for directors um, and he really did something quite special, you know? Yes. Especially with that green, green sleeve series.
0: It seems like he really transformed it. And didn't he also allow more experimentation than anybody else had to that point? Like letting people kind of do what they want as long as they also did what he, you know, they got the job done?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of experimentation anyway because of the, you know, library music kind of lends itself to being experimental. You know, it's it, it's the only type of music where you can have... You know a banjo and a you know and a harpsichord and, 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 <laughs> and you, you know you, you can d- do whatever you like really but um i think was he was he into experimentation i don't know but i mean there's a lot of french and italian i'm sure you're aware that stuff is crazy yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But- and that's really experimental so i think i think yeah i mean he there is some experimental stuff that, that kpm released but um i think some of the the european stuff is is far more out there.
0: I think even on the soundtrack that you have, don't you have a um the guy from Brain Ticket, Joel Vander um, is he on that soundtrack also? I can't think of his yeah. name. I
1: don't think he is, you know. I've got one. Oh,
0: okay. oh. we just Oh nice.
1: We yeah. just received <laughs> this today, so I just had a quick
2: look. I just uh, ordered mine from the record store I just, today. I told, it just just got put up. I'm like, I'll oh,
0: go ahead
1: and pre-order that one. Oh well, thank you. We got two sales now. Yeah, man.
0: me. Yeah, I was telling him before we got you on, Ryan. I told him we got we, we pre we pre-ordered them already.
1: At least two people are going to buy it. So
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know who, who we've got on here. We've got. Um. I mean, I should know because it's taken me ages. <laughs> yeah, so on KPM on here, we've got uh, there's a Nick Ingman thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, Brian Bennett, Alan Hawkshaw.
0: I think that guy—the guy I was talking about—is on Color Sound.
1: Was on Color Sound. I don't think there's any Color Sound. Oh, there, okay,
0: actually. okay, my mistake. Um,
1: although, although, um, although Color Sound is, um, I think it is owned by EMI now. Yes. Um. Nobody, nobody selected it because the, the 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 compilation is is uh, is music that's inspired uh, by the film and selected by some of the people that were interviewed in the film. That's so it's, it's, a, it's a different comp in it, compared to the other ones that are out because, you know, before you'd get one guy that would select all of his favourite tunes. Whereas with this comp, you you know, you get Young Einstein from Ugly Duckling's Choice, you get DJ Format's Choice, you get AM's Choice, you know, so you, you, get, you get to see what they're about in the film and kind of what music they're into in the film, but then you also get to buy the record and... You get their choice, um, and I think the other good thing about this record is that it doesn't stick to just the heavy hitters. It doesn't stick mm-hmm. to just the funk stuff. It doesn't stick to to the lounge type stuff. It, it's a real sort of cross genre mix, um, and it makes for good listening. You know, I've, I've, I listened to it actually in sequence only the first time the other day. Um, I thought I'd better do that before they. Make... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. Told Sean Sean Lee sequenced it, and 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 you know I totally trusted, you know his mm-hmm. sequencing, and I knew it would be great. Um, but listen to it, and it is. It's a really nice selection of tunes. Which so one? I'm... It seems
2: like a different sort of compilation to have those. You know, usually with with film, film soundtracks, or whatever you want to call them, they're all pretty straight laced down the middle. Okay, here's here's what's. Here's what's in the film. This is what one person's vision was. Kind of turn that on its ear and say, okay, we're just going to let the people who the movie is about actually about actually make the soundtrack. It's just kind of a different concept, at least, at least in my
1: opinion. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the, th- the thing is, everyone's got such an opinion about library music. And everyone's because because the, the, it's not one genre of music. It's not you know we haven't made a film about funk music or about rock and roll or about you know jazz. It, there's there's so many genres that make up library music. It's it's, it's kind of every style of music. Mm-hmm. So giving these guys a chance to to select their favorite song, it does mean that uh, if you're new to library, you get um, like a wide range of, of styles of music to listen to. But if you're already into into library, you might also get some stuff that you wouldn't usually dig into i mean there's not you can find these 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 tracks you know they're if you're digging for records you might find the original record but you know you can find reissues of of most of this stuff and bootlegs or whatever but to have these tracks in one place i think is 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 quite special and and to have the guys involved pick stuff it it makes it a little bit more personal um you know it's not just they're not just a talking head in a film you know they're more involved in the process you know
0: did you and sean lee get to and um, the other, Sean, did you guys get off? Yeah, we did, yeah. Good, yeah, yeah. good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> not, yeah, we could not do that. Yet.
0: That's a perk. It's your company.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, I, had, I, had to, I had to pick a track, yeah. Um, Sean, Sean and Sean both knew what they were going to pick right from the off. We um, we interviewed um, a composer called James Asher. Uh-huh. Uh, did a lot of stuff on Bruton um, and on uh, Studio G. And one of his tracks while we were filming in, in I think it was in Italy. Well they, they they had it on a laptop and they were playing it in the in the hotel over and over and over and over again. So that that was Sean Lee's choice. That went straight on and um, I can't remember what Sean Lambeth chose. Oh yeah Sean Lambeth chose a, a Bernard Astadi track. Um, he kind of fell in love with, with telemusic. Okay, okay. And we went when we were in Paris we, we visited uh, uh, Studio CBE which is Bernard Astardi's studio. So we did we did the interviews with, with the French composers in the studio that, that Bernard Estadi had had made and, and worked in for years and years and and recorded almost all of the telemusic records in that studio Oh, wow um, yeah I mean it's, it was an incredible place um you know you really got a vibe uh, when you went there and and it's this crazy studio you just you, you open the door of the studio from the street and you're in the control you literally <laughs> Go out, go in from the street into into the control room, right next to the the, the mixing desk. It's it's a crazy place. Um, I know they're gonna show
2: you're gonna show this in some of the documentary, but what are what are they like? I mean, is it just what's it what's it feel like to be in this room with all this music was either made or stored? Maybe some music that nobody's ever heard. Is it just kind of
1: overwhelming or Um. It's a little bit overwhelming when you think about it afterwards, because you know the, you're talking to to these guys that have made all these records that you love, uh, all these records that you may not have even heard yet because there's so much, and they played on so much stuff. The guys in, in, in Paris, I mean, it, it, everybody that we've met has made hundreds of records, um, but the guys in Paris, they they made, they were the rhythm section for 99% of, of Telemusic's records. So, they can't even remember what they played on. You know, <laughs> you know, we, we were talking to them and I was I was asking one of the guys about a song that I really liked that they played on it. And none of them could remember it. And in the end, I had to get my phone out and, and, and plumb it into Google and, and, and pull it up so they can listen to a bit of it. And then they like, oh yeah, okay, I remember that.
0: Yeah. So, when they do those KPM All-Star shows, do they have to kind of practice like they're a cover band because they don't remember all the songs and then learn them all over again?
1: No, I think those guys. Those guys are slightly different because they kind of play the 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 big, KPI okay. numbers. So so you'll get the the thing from Grandstand and yeah. you get the Monday Night Football and uh you uh, Alan Hawkshaw does the Champ those Good. kind of things. So, so the, they kind of know. But you know, there's people like, like Alan Parker. We asked him about um. A track uh, called "Relax Spacious," and he never titled it, and uh, he didn't know who titled it, so he had no idea what the song was.
0: Is he? <laughs> from what I read about him or saw from him, he seems like he's a really fun interview. If, if I'm thinking of the right. Yeah, he's great. He's he's. Yeah. I think I heard something about him on a radio show where they mentioned that one of his songs was used in like tons of porn. Like. <laughs> And he was just shocked that cool. it was, and he would, but he said, whatever, that sounds great. <laughs> you know? he's, but he had, well, he's funny.
1: A lot of that KPM stuff was used in, was used in porn. Um, there's a bass player called Les Hurdle, and uh, he played, he's quite famous for doing the, the, the disco bass. He came up with the sort of Donna Summer disco bass thing. But before that, he was making live music and was, he was one of the players on, on Things International stuff. And he wrote a song uh, that was on a. Uh, this, the A-side was all uh, tracks written by Alan Park and the B-side was, was written by Les Hurdle. And one of the tracks that he wrote was used uh, countless times on, on, on porn films because it was called You've Got What It Takes.
0: That's it. Uh, I think that's the one I'm talking about, I think. Yeah, that's Les Hurdle, yeah. Okay, I, think I, I thought there was somebody else on there too. Um, well, there's like a,
1: there's also Dave Richmond as well, another bass player. His stuff was used all over porn. And and John Cameron as well. He you know, he was his one of his tracks was used in Emmanuel, so Okay. It might have been know. John
0: Cameron that I was thinking of too. That might have been who I was thinking yeah. of. There's just so many well, of those guys. Great,
1: he's another great interview, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what thinking back to like the big
2: stuff, like what was the first song or the first artist that really got you into into library
1: music? Um well the first thing really was uh, when I was at school uh, in the music department they had um, a load of records out the back in this lots of shelves of different records and I was, I was DJing at the time and well sort of learning to DJ at that point um, so I'd dip in there when no one was around and, and go through the records and see which ones I could steal and take home <laughs> um, and I found a shelf of, of library records I found a shelf of KPNs and Chapels and um, there may have been some Dwarf in there as well but Oh, there were some BBC records as well, which had really crazy noises and sound effects and things. And so those ones I just—they're weird. I'll take those. So, <laughs> so they—they were the—they were the they were the 1st library records that that, that I had and, and that that I was into. I couldn't really remember any of the um, any of the records except for one that really stuck in my mind, which was uh, Native Africa. And uh, mm-hmm. it's by somebody called. Um, I've written this in the in the liner notes actually. His mm-hmm. name was Guy. I forgot his name. Guy something of Ghana. His name was. Okay. And he okay. made he made two records and they're all really percussive and um, there's some kind of like African chants and stuff. And that was perfect for me because I was sampling, I was scratching and sort of trying to mix that stuff in, you know, in over the top of hip hop beats. And um, and that one stayed with me for for a while. I, I got rid of it five years ago when the price of library records was really, really high. Uh, I sold it, man. I, I kind of wish I didn't now. <laughs> but but they, that was the kind of the first the first uh, sort of dip into library. And then a little bit later on, I was DJing with, with some guys. I, I was like warm up DJ for some guys, uh, Mark Pritchard and Danny Breaks, and they were really into library. And I, again, I didn't really know what it was. I mean, we're going back probably 20 years. And they were saying, "Well, have you got any more of those records?" I said, oh, "I've got loads of them. I nicked them from school." <laughs> <laughs> well, we will buy them off you if you want. I said, "All right, great." You know, and I'm 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 selling them library records and, and buying like you know, sort of crap hip hop that that is <laughs> worth nothing now. You know, and I wouldn't even listen to it now. But um, yeah, so I kind of knew about it then, and then then I was playing uh, things like Champ. Um, so that that kind of led me to Alan Hawkshaw, um, and it was kind of just. All around me, um, without me really knowing. Uh, like everybody, you know, you'd hear something really cool on, on a, on a, you know, TV show or on a, you know, film or something, and it, it would be library. Um, and then, once Sean Lee had spoken to me about this, you know, the idea for this film, I, I thought, okay, well, I better dig back into that and kind of refresh myself and, and figure out what it is that I like about this, uh, or if I even still like it um and within half an hour listening to the stuff i mean it's you can't not like this music it's
2: such a rabbit hole to fall into you just can't you never know what you're going to listen to it's like you know it's you just you go down one road and it's like all of a sudden you're in the weirdest sounds you've ever heard and you're like you know i'd never thought there'd be a sound like this a music like this and then it's just you know you just kind of wondering how you got there
1: yeah, and, and you find one composer and you may never have heard much of his stuff or, or you you've heard like that big tune. And you delve into I remember Nino Nardini, I, you know, I'd heard this name for a while and didn't really know anything, but had seen one track comped on three or four albums and uh, and I dug into that. That and that stuff's crazy. I mean it's it's crazy good and and really interesting music and i got lost in that for a while and <laughs> uh you know St- stefano tarosi as well you know i knew feelings and i knew that i knew that record and that record is phenomenal so one of the one of the for me is one of the best uh records not just library music is it's a brilliant record but diving into his stuff you know i got into a lot of the late 80s early 90s stuff he was doing as well which is all synth bass no drums <clears> you know and and Again, that's a, that's a whole nother world. Yeah, I mean, come, coming, from, coming from listening to, to funk and hip hop and, and that kind of music, and then all of a sudden I'm really into synth music, and that stuff that I would never have listened to 10 years ago is got my favorite library now. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's strange. It, 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 does, it does funny things to you, library. You know, it's, it's good. It's a, you know, there's a bit of music for every mood.
0: Yeah, for me, it's only, like, I picked up a lot of compilations just because I'm kind of terrified of going in after, like, one artist, because I'll just, I don't, my wife will kill me if I start spending money, you know, all that money on that kind of stuff, like, <laughs> because there's a, a hundred different genres and subgenres and combinations, like, it'll, it would never stop, but. Yeah,
1: oh, and you spend a lot of money.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I already have. Which is,
1: which is why we're so lucky, because making this film, you know, we've, we've been able to visit people like Johnny Trunk, who's got every record you can imagine you know he, he yeah. literally has spent he i mean he was buying records before library records before anybody even realized this was a thing
0: that's, that's funny and this is this is actually what i was listening to today which is one of his there you go that's his yeah. new one yeah yeah it's great
1: so and that's that's mainly that spider jazz that the, the stuff that was on spider-man is, is mainly yeah. alan parker
0: yeah it doesn't even mention that on here it just yeah mentions, that's I'm,
1: I'm pretty sure that most of that stuff, the guitar stuff, is, is Alan Parker.
0: It's some Hawk, It says Hawkshaw um, and uh, Johnny Hawksworth and Sid Dale a lot, and Bill Martin. Yeah. Deep uh, Mansfield, who's on everything, I think too, is not he? Yeah. yeah that,
1: that's again. That's another load of stuff that I, I've never really dug into because that's slightly older. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can you can go back even further and. You know the, the the brown sleeves or you know whatever they are the, the the ones before the thousand series the green sleeve stuff. I mean they've going to EMI's um, office up in town here. They you know we did some interviews there and we filmed some stuff there, and they've got one wall of like a bookcase full of records and and they've got all of the the or pretty much all of the, the green sleeves and the brown sleeves. Um So you've got all the stuff going back from from seventy eights right the way through to uh, all those color sounds and selected sounds. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some there's some amazing records there. Yeah,
0: and your favorite one might be in there, and you'll never even get a chance to hear it because there's too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's <laughs> your favorite?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you, how do you broach the subject with somebody on the street? They're like, you know, what do you do? Well, I'm a, I'm a film producer who's you know making a movie about library music. You know, and I think there's a lot of people who love music, like really love music, who probably have no clue what library music is. Or, I mean, do you have like a boilerplate answer, or do you kind of? I mean, how do you explain it?
1: <laughs> you try not to. Yeah. Just make, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's um, it kind of confuses some people. Some people instantly get it. You know, you just say it's the music that that you hear at the beginning of a TV show if it hasn't been made specifically for that show, somebody else made it and it was somebody's job to find a bit of music for that. And, you know, you sort of go, okay, well, think about, uh, for you guys in the States, think about people's call. Cool. Yeah. So people's Cool, that music, yeah, I know that music. Well, that music wasn't written for people's call. Cool. Well, what was it written for? Well, it was written for something, <laughs> but it didn't, but when the guy wrote that, he didn't know what it was going to be used for. He just wrote a good bit of music. And then somebody at people's call chose that bit of music and put it at the beginning. You know it. Yeah. It's iconic. And that's, yeah. I mean, you, you, that's the, that's kind of what you do or you just pull your hair out. and. Bend <laughs> I was saying, it
2: sounds like a bad conversation. I have at a bar with some guy. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: we did, we did have an idea early on when we were making this, we were going to just go into the middle of London and stop people on the street and, and, and film them, film their answers. Do you know what library music is and see what their reaction was. But, after you know, uh, you know, three or four people asking us what library music was, we decided that was a bad idea, and we could make <laughs> we could make a nice concise intro in the film, and, and yeah, hopefully people understand when they see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's sort of depressing okay. when you think about people who don't know, but it's basically here's the music that'll help you, that tells you how to feel when you're watching a TV show. You know, it's yeah,
1: like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, I mean, everybody. That's the thing. Everybody knows it. Yeah. Everybody knows a piece of library music. They just don't, oh, yeah. just might not realise that they know a piece of library music. Um, so, so hopefully, the, hopefully the film. I mean, what we one of the intentions with this was to make a film that, the people that don't know about library, will understand what it is and they'll, they'll have some sort of idea that when they're watching, you know, the Discovery Channel and they see music to Wolf at the end in the credits. Oh, okay, so that was library music we've been listening to. But we didn't want to dumb it down so much that people that are into library uh, you know didn't feel that this was like a beginner's guide to or you know live music for dummies yeah um so i, I think we've i think we've managed to kind of tackle that and, and there's enough content and enough you know we go deep enough into stuff that, that that you know people that are really into library will dig and will be really into but we also haven't gone so deep and confusing that it's going to be a turn off for people that don't know about libraries so um that was like the, the one of the one of the main goals and also the hardest thing that we could do because <laughs> it's so easy to you know to to dive in and, and end up in, you know, nineteen seventy-six Rome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> surrounded by Alison Droney backwards.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so we we you know, we tried not to do
0: that. Is he he's the whistler, right? The guy um He is the Whistler. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that guy. I've been trying I've been thinking about getting some of his um, his albums too. There are a lot of them have been reissued, and they look so great, but they're pricey, at least here. Yeah,
1: even, even the reissues are pricey.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, they're expensive here. Like, thirty to fifty bucks a piece, which is which is a lot for a record. More than it used yeah.
1: to be. Yeah, I agree, man. But I mean, some of that stuff is is so good that yeah, kind of. Can you get away with paying fifty bucks for a record?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends who you tell. <laughs> True. he's even the guy he and his wife are the ones who actually said manamana on the um uh uh the piero, uh, piero yes yes on the manamana song which everybody yeah. knows too but
1: yeah that's that was it we we got that story from when we interviewed um piero's daughters at his studio oh wow right? oh, awesome we we got the story of uh Ma-na-ma. yeah yeah man it's uh so it's, it's a it's a crazy story in fact uh, also, the other guy that was involved in that was uh, Antonelli, Antonello Venucci, who was the keyboard player for uh, I'mark 4 He was on that session as well. Wow.
0: I, I had no idea until I started looking into it. And yeah, I had, I never would have thought that he would have been in there. I mean, knowing him from the uh, from the Morricone soundtracks and just whistling, I didn't know he would be on. He's like everywhere on, on the Italian ones. Guitar. Yeah. He's a great guitarist. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not an expert in Alison at all. Even after, you know, being on this <laughs> journey, making this film for three years, I'm st- I'm still like a real total beginner with Alison because that stuff is you know something else that is going to take me another year or two years to even dive into. Um, but that, luckily, we you know we got we got people like Mike Wallace in the film who um, Marcellus Wallace. I don't know if you know know him out in San Diego. He is like an Italian library nut. I mean, he knows everything about Italian library music, and he has got most of the original recordings. He's got, he's got like a, a Morricone test pressing, and I mean, he's got some incredible Alisson Droney records. So luckily, I'm able to call on him if there's, you know, anything that I need to find out, you know, or I needed to know in order to make this film. I could just get an email out to Mike and say, look, you know. Tell me about this record because it's popped up and I don't know anything about it. <laughs> um, you know, so it's that, pretty. It's pretty cool that we've we've been able to um, you know have people like Mike on board, um, who really know this stuff. You know, they. I don't profess to be an expert in this, but but these guys, um, you know, they wouldn't want me to call them experts, but they are. You know, they they really live and breathe this music
0: it's which like there's is, which is pretty brilliant there are just too many albums out there to, to ever claim to be an expert like there's just too much of every genre no matter how much you think you have or no i would think yeah.
1: yeah i mean there's there's so much there's so, i mean even if you had even if you had all of the kpm greensleeves for instance which is a huge amount of records you still wouldn't have all of alan hawkshaw's compositions you still wouldn't have all of brian bennett's compositions you, because they played and recorded and and wrote for so many libraries and so many records and for pieces that that they weren't even credited for. You know, so just like you said, Alan Parker's not listed on that record. It's probably because he was just in on those sessions. So the sound of that guitar was him, but he wasn't even credited. um, There there was a a story about a a band, a library band called Wasp that we uh, we were told about. Um, It was Brian Bennett, Dave Richmond, Duncan Lamont, uh, Steve Gray, and Clive Hicks, all great library composers, all on KPM, all on themes, um, and they did a lot of stuff on standard. But those guys would play on everybody else's records. So when Duncan Lamont had a record, Dave and Brian, and all those guys would play on his records. And then when it came to Dave Richmond's records, Brian would be the drummer, Steve would come in and play keys. But they're never credited. They just played on all of these records. So you get to, I guess you get to know the sound of Brian Bennett's drums. Mm -hmm. So you know, you know that record's him and Dave Richmond's bass, you know, oh, he's playing on that because it sounds like Dave Richmond, but there's so many of them that, that, you know, they can't keep track of it. So I certainly can't keep track of it.
2: (laughs) Well, one thing like that kind of fascinates me about it all is, you know, we, you know, in doing this podcast, we we went into like private press records, which is, you know, kind of, not the same, but or the song poem where these people would write poems and send them in, and these are the people who are just so desperate for fame. I mean, they may may or may not have talent, but they're desperate for fame. And then you have this whole world of people who have no interest in fame whatsoever. Like it's you know it's it's it's, it's they have all the talent in the world, and 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 you know so experimental and and so technical but also very loose and free to do what they want but it's just so crazy to me that you know some music often is so interrelated to making money and being famous and these guys I'm sure they you know wanted a living but it's just totally opposite of what most music is made for
1: yeah I mean from from most of the guys especially in England that we that we interviewed they were just really surprised. While we were interested, they were they were kind of like, well, "Why do you want to know about this record that I made in 1975? Uh, I don't even remember that record. Well, you know, what? Why is? Why do you care? You know? And it's it, a lot of them are so detached from from that period of their life because they, they were they, they they were and are session musicians, studio musicians. So they'd you know they they were working every day. They were doing maybe three or four sessions a day uh, every day for 10 years. So, you know, when when we pick up a record or, you know, we find something, you know, it kind of resonates with us and, and we're really into that sound or, you know, whatever it is about that record that, 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 you know, we pick up on. But for them, it was just another day, you know, there's another <laughs> a session, you know, this guy's written this song, okay, let's make it, you know, and it's, they weren't really interested in fame, although, you know, some of them did become quite famous. They certainly... For the most part, very successful, but yeah, it is completely different to, to commercial music. This music's lasted longer, maybe, than than a lot of commercial music. You know, the stuff that they that they were making in the sixties and the seventies, if it was pop, you know, if it, if it had a vocal, it might have been forgotten about by now. But because it's got that drama and and you know, brilliant arrangements and fantastic playing, uh, and it's. It's kind of not dated by having a vocal. It still works now, you know, and, and that's why I guess a lot of people are sampling the library and have sampled library because it's it's got that instant fill
2: mm-hmm. that,
1: that that you know you can get you can you can take eight bars of Alan Two and it sounds amazing over hip-hop mm-hmm. ever you know so yeah I don't going back to your original question which I've sort of forgotten and haven't probably asked <laughs> but I don't know if that was
2: a question I don't know it was just I guess just to speaking to like you know almost just the the mindset of that sort of you know studio musician where I think you kind of touched on where it's just like a day day at, day at the job for them but you know they're making this you know what some people would just kill for for that ability to to make that that uh, that sort of music and people like you said got paid much much more money and had you know much greater chances at having their music heard at least heard with their name attached to it you know so i don't i don't even know if there was a question there
1: yeah. <laughs> i mean it's, it's, it's a good point though it's a really good point and it is it is something that we we spoke about in the film in that they did make amazing music and for the most part nobody in the general public even if they knew that piece of music wouldn't know that person and again you know going back to the film again as i as i will with every question that's why uh, you're here. Going back, going back to the to, to the film, the, the, one of the reasons for this, you know, Sean knew Alan Hawkshaw before the film and he'd, he'd made some records with him 20 years ago or something, some library stuff. Um, and so he knew more about Alan than, than, than I did. But, you know, he was just sort of saying, well, these guys need to be known more by normal people because they've made music that everybody's grown up listening to. But we don't know who they are. You know, these people these people love the Grange Hill theme. Uh, if you know what that is, Chicken Man, which is which is on uh, which is on themes. You know, in this country, Grange Hill was a huge kids' kids show in the 80s and, and 90s. And that theme was on every single day, every week for, you know, 15, 20 years. Everybody can sing that, but nobody knows who he is. So, you know, that kind of aspect of, of shedding some light on these guys and, you know, they, they, they're, they're, you know they've been making music for some of them 40 or 50 years so they're not you know they, they are successful and people in the know know them um, but it is nice for them to maybe have a little bit more light and a bit more respect you know for their art and for being fantastic composers and arrangers and, and musicians yeah um, if, if, if we can do that and, and you know kind of showcase them a bit more then I think that's a really good thing because more people should be listening to library. I mean
0: how far back into the history of library music do you guys go is it a focus on kind of the golden age like 70s or do you and then forward
1: we had the intention of doing i mean well first first of all the period that we that we covered was the late 60s to the sort of early mid 80s okay. which is that kind of golden era of recording and um, studios and engineers and, uh, you know, using the best gear and having those huge studio spaces that for the most part don't exist anymore. And also in the heyday of these guys and their recordings. So that's the kind of era that we focused on. We had intended to to go a little bit further back and and, and kind of show the history of, of, of library and, and where it began and how it began and bring it right up to date. But, as we got into the project um, and we spoke to more people and we got more content, we realised that because there is so much to cover in that time period, it would be crazy to try and fit fifty years into two hours or yeah. just under two yeah. hours uh, because we wouldn't be, you know, doing it justice. And also, there's so much good stuff in that time period that, we, that we're talking about. And you know, if you've got Keith Mansfield in front of you. Let's talk to Keith Mansfield about what he's done. There's not let's not try and cover stuff before him. And let's certainly not try and cover this new stuff, which has a purpose. But you know, it's new library music to me, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same feel, it doesn't have the same variety, it doesn't have that experimental quality that the, the 60s and 70s and the 80s had. And nobody really wants to talk to somebody who is making music on a laptop all the time, you know exactly. And there is a huge, is a huge difference. I'm not trying to, to take away from what these guys are doing now because there obviously are talented musicians and composers that are, that are making library now. Um, and you can't use 1970s Keith Mansfield for everything, even now. But I think it, it's much more important to, to, to focus on those guys. And uh, and these guys, they, they you know, for the most part, haven't been interviewed before. You know, nobody's, insane. nobody's <laughs> seen them, you know, nobody knows who they are. So, you know, that's, that's why we needed to focus on those guys. Um, and we were struggling for a while. We had a four hour film for about six <laughs> months. And it was very difficult to cut anything out because there was so much good content and, you know, so many good interviews from so many good people. So it was really difficult to get that down to a, a manageable size.
0: What's the one, like the biggest story you did cut out that you kind of, that you would have, if you had had any more room, you would have thrown in? Oh, man, there was so many.
1: There was, there, I mean, so many hours of stuff. We, to name one that's like a specific story, man, <laughs> there was so many. I mean, there's there's things like um, Les Hurdle, the bass player. He he was a trumpet player, and he was in a band, and they said, oh, well, we need someone to play bass. So he he worked in a workshop. His day job was working in a workshop. So he made a bass guitar. Okay? <laughs> he put a steel rod through the neck because he didn't realise how how to make a, a bass guitar, and so it was like the heaviest thing in the world. So after about a year, he had a bad shoulder because he was playing. <laughs> I mean, there's there's millions and millions of stories, millions of things about you know, famous people that made library music, and they and they would you know do things under different names so they could the record they really wanted to make rather than the pop thing that they knew they had to make. So there was instances of that. There's a great Eno record on, I think it's on Standard. I believe it's a 10-inch. And I think they. it was at the time, it was released at the time when CDs were being released as library. And Eno said, no, I want it to be on vinyl. So Standard released, I'm pretty sure it's Standard, released a 10-inch Eno record, library record. Um, and we were really interested in in, uh, in featuring that. But he, ref- he refuses to have any association with that record now so he wouldn't be interviewed and, oh really
0: uh, <sighs>
1: yeah he seems like oh, he would just know. be
0: a brilliant interview because he's so smart and eloquent
1: i spoke to his assistant and uh and that's as far as i got okay like, no no, no we, we don't even know what record you're talking about and i said well i, I can show you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just you no no no. we don't know what record you're talking he, about.
2: he's actually had it surgically removed from his memory
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know it wouldn't surprise me
0: <laughs> it's funny because we were we Ryan and I were talking about library records a lot we were talking about how everybody was so impressed in the 70s when Eno was making soundtracks for films that didn't exist and yet library music was had been doing that for a decade.
1: this was probably this was probably one of his records this is you know one of these records for an imaginary film this is probably why it was released as library because somebody at the library knew him and oh that's a, you know we do that already yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put it with the others guys yeah. <laughs> nothing special. <laughs>
1: For the film itself,
2: like how uh, how is it gonna get distributed? Is there gonna be just a, a I know you're gonna be touring with the film. Are you gonna put out a DVD? Is there gonna be like, bonus features? You know, some of those stories get cut cut out. Maybe get put in with the DVD. Or
1: there is a DVD. I'm not sure when it comes out. It, it was it's supposed to be ready for the first screening that we have, which is on October sixth. Um. So only a couple of weeks away. So I'm hoping it's gonna be ready for then so that. When people come out of the screening, if they enjoyed themselves, they'll want to buy a copy and Absolutely. and watch the forty-seven minutes or so of, of DVD extras that we've got on there. So we have got, I think, there's ten or fifteen extras, um, just like short snippets um, of things that, that that didn't quite make the film. Uh, not everything, unfortunately, because <laughs> uh, by the time I, you know, I'd spent three years. Working on this, I I kind of had enough <laughs> of, of trying to cut of trying to cut this stuff. So we've got it, we've got it on the hard drive. So if if um, you know, you never know what happens. We we might we might be able to dip back into it and release some of the other stories. But there's some stories in the film, and and then like I say, we've got the DVD extras. So the DVD will be available um, hopefully from commercially. I think uh, distributed through Legier where you guys are getting the record from they'll be doing the dvd as well so you'll be able to get both of them uh, but we're also doing screenings with uh question and answers with with us me myself sean and sean uh, and also we, we're uh, we're having guests at some of these screenings so come along and and, and you might get to have a QA with one of the composers or or one of these uh collectors or diggers that's uh, that's in the film and then also we're doing some crazy after parties where we're we're djing library music and Um, And that kind of thing. So, yeah, it it all kicks off in a couple of weeks' time at the British Library in London, which is which is going to be incredible. I know it's miles away for you guys. Yeah, we're not going to make it. (laughs) uh,
0: It's already sold out too, right?
1: It's it's sold. Yeah, I mean it's sold out really, really quickly,
0: which is um, congratulations. That's awesome. That's great.
1: It's incredible. I mean, it's going to be. I don't think it's entirely down to the film because afterwards there's uh, a KPM All Stars gig. So you could buy a day ticket where there's an exhibition and a talk and then the screening, and then you get the gig in the evening. So some people have bought just the film, some people have bought just the gig, some people have bought the whole day. Um, so it's going to be quite an, an amazing event to, to be involved in, um, in just a small, small way. Um, but then after that, we're, we, we kind of take it on the road a little bit. We're doing um, some screenings in Germany and some more in the UK and in um we just got one in Copenhagen coming uh, for January, and then we are hoping to bring it over to the states uh, and do a, a couple of screenings in uh, in the states. I think we've got LA kind of lined up now, um, but there's some requests from different places. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can get out and you know kind of bring the film to a uh, to a bigger audience in cinemas. You know, it's great to be able to buy, yeah. a piece, but but to be sat in a room full of library fans. And seeing it, you know, would be a
0: whole another experience. The the trailers that you guys have on the Facebook page are are great. and such a very so good, fun. very good, tees- <laughs> very good teasers.
1: Yeah, we've kind of strung it out quite a long a long time. Um, we didn't realize that the film was going to take so long to make. It has taken uh, at, at least eight months longer than I anticipated uh, that it would take. I mean it's been a long process, you know, three years and we tried to, I'm just doing my, putting my charger in as well. If, if there's any kind of noise, if I disappear, for a second. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've been to five countries, I think, and interviewed over, over 50 people and there's about 120 hours of, of footage. And um, uh, we've listened to thousands of library records, <laughs> you know, so it's taken a, a huge, it's been a huge task and taken a, like a hell of a long time to, to to make. Probably wouldn't have done so if if uh, it would have been a bit quicker if there'd been more than just three of us on this.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: I kind of, we, we made, as I said before, we, we made a film, Sean and, and myself, Sean and Amber and myself, we made a film a couple of years ago. And that, again, that was just the two of us that made this documentary, an hour documentary. And that was manageable. That was okay, you know, but, but this is a huge, huge undertaking. And about two thirds through, through making it, I thought, We're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Why are we doing this? This is mad, you know. But then you watch it and you think, well, okay, I know now, you know, I realise why uh, it needed to be done. Because if we didn't do it, I don't think anyone else was going to do it. It, You know, and and not that people weren't going to do it because it's not an interesting subject, but it's just, it's maybe not a subject that would be commissioned. And it's maybe not a subject that that people with no budget would would make. And and that's what we've done. We literally went, okay, this is a great idea. These guys are going to be gone soon. And if we don't do this, then those stories have gone. And, you know, there's no point doing this when there's none of these composers left, you know, this, this really needs to be told by these people. And, and, and and they also need to know the influence that they've had on new music and you know, and, and why people think that their records are so great.
0: So we had to do it. How hard was it to get interviews set up? Were they pretty, sounds like they were pretty willing to do it.
1: Yeah, they were for the most part.
0: Other was, than Eno.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just Eno. You know, um, it, surprisingly, it was harder to get library collectors and enthusiasts uh, involved than it was to get the composers, because the composers kind of they were like, well, What do you want to talk to me about this for? And we go, like, Oh, we really like this stuff. Well, okay, come over. Yeah, you know, and, and we did. Um, yeah, you know, and obviously once you've got Alan Hawkshaw and you've got Keith Mansfield and those guys, then the other ones are kind of. Well, who else have you interviewed, Oh, we did Keith Mansfield last week. Oh, okay, come over. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe Brian Bennett gave Alan Hawkshaw a call, and you know, who are these jokers? You know, they, they want to come over. Yeah, they're all right. Send them over. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they they might have been sort of talking about us. But Yeah, they, I mean, they were pre- for the most part, they were pretty easy to, to get hold of. And, and, and I think they were quite interested in, in seeing, you know, why we were doing this um, and, and quite sort of intrigued about, you know, after all this time, why are people are still interested. Then on the other hand, you had people that, that didn't want to get involved because they collectors and, and producers and DJs that, that were less inclined to be involved because they didn't want to come across as being experts because they were worried that, well, hang on, you know, I don't know anything about live music. You need to speak to this guy. And then this guy would say, well, that guy knows what he's talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, And so there was this kind of thing about, you know, not wanting to be sort of like the authority on this music. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, you know, once we've got a few people down and, you know, then the rest of them were go, well, okay, who have you got? Well, we've got this guy. Okay, well, if he's in it, then. You know, I can see it. And then you had other guys that were desperate to be in it. On the whole, I think we, we we did really well. We we got to pretty much everyone that we we wanted to, and and more. You know, there were some people that we that we hadn't thought about or thought that we couldn't get to, and 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 they they willingly got involved in. Um, and there wasn't a bad interview. There was nobody that that felt like they didn't want to be there, or you know, there was nobody that, that that was that was guarded or, or that the, the didn't want to answer things. You know, everyone was really open. And, and you know, it was a really, really sort of fun experience being with these people, you know, and, and like you say, quite overwhelming, you know, afterwards you, you think, well, these guys wrote all this fantastic music. I mean, it's it's incredible. And being, being in some of the studios, you, you know, you walk in and it would feel like a really good space. You know, you'd, 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 you'd be in somewhere like CBE and, and uh, and Yanko Nilovich after his interview, started playing the piano. Wow, man, this is this is something else, you know. You 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 forget you're supposed to be filming and you, you're looking at it and just watching him. Oh God, I better get the camera, you know, because this is <laughs> too good.
2: As you were interviewing, did you notice like maybe? I mean, I don't know how much these guys think about that period in their life as you know certainly not they're not being interviewed about it for the most part i mean did you notice like as they started talking about it or as they started reflecting or did you know did anybody have different you know perceptions or or even like regrets on those times or anything like that
1: there was definitely no regrets i think they all had a good time i think they they all they all were living the life you know they, they were they were working hard and they were getting paid really well to play on these sessions or, or to write this stuff, um, there was a few guys that that maybe drank a bit too much. Um, yeah, I kind of got the impression that there was um, there was a lot of drinking involved, and there was a couple of guys. You know, someone like, like Keith Mansfield became ill from working too much. He was he was just he was writing so much and he was in the studio every single day, and uh, his day would be like a, a 16 or 17 hour day every day. Um, so it got to the point where he was burnt out. In terms of this, I mean, them sort of reminiscing, there was everyone was really happy about you know talking about that that time period. And um, there were certain people that everybody loved. Everybody loved Robin Phillips. That that came across right from the start. You know, everybody thought that he was really great to the composers, to the musicians, and you know everyone loved his leadership, I guess, and the way he did things. He, he helped. He helped them with their music. He helped them, to, you know, with the right briefs. He helped them with the right studios and put put them with the right engineers. So everything about him was good, I guess. If you were if you were if you were working for him, um, and that definitely came across with with a lot of the guys saying great things about him. Um, and for the most part, great things about each other. You know, they they were all a sort of little gang. You know, they'd they'd be on the same sessions with each other most of the week, so they knew each other really well. And that was the same, you know, like in London, you had a, a pocket full of musicians that worked together, and in, in France, the guys in Paris, they all worked together, so they were great friends, and they had a great day, because we interviewed four of the, the studio sharks, as they were known, uh, and Yanko and at the same studio in the same day. And so they were having a whale of a the time. They were, they were back to being 25 again. <laughs> God,
2: that's that's great. amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, I had read that unions often were not very happy in England about um, about library music, so they often had to kind of go off to Germany or somewhere to record, and then they'd come back. Was that did that happen a lot, or am I just not did I just not get the information right? Like, did they have to no, go out and record somewhere else and come back right yeah, away? Yeah,
1: you, you got that right. You got that right. Apparently, there was a musicians' union band for I think it was a couple of years. So the union, as far as I understand, and we spoke, to, um, we spoke to quite a lot of the composers about this, and also to Adrian Kerridge, who was the engineer for most of the KPM stuff. And he was the engineer for a lot of the stuff that they did in Germany and in Brussels. They, the Musicians' Union decided that library music was bad for musicians, because at the time, uh, television programs had live bands or live orchestras. And uh playing library music would put all those musicians out of work. Uh because why would you need musicians when you've got a bit of vinyl that's got music on it? Uh, they didn't kind of get that you would need both. Uh so the Musicians Union put a ban on library music to be recorded in the UK. So I think Rob I mean The Wolf were were recording in Europe already and they were using a lot of European composers already. But but Robin Phillips at KPM decided that they'd move their recordings to Germany and to uh, Brussels so that they could get get out of this Musicians' Union ban. because if it was recorded outside of the UK, they couldn't stop the sessions. Uh, but apparently, if you did have a session in the UK, the Musicians' Union would turn up at the studios and knock on the door and there'd be a guy there that would, uh, that would close down the session You'd get a fine and you'd still have to pay with musicians anyway and you wouldn't be able to use that music and that happened for a couple of years until uh robin and uh, peter cox who is a a former head of kpm uh they got together with the union and and, uh kind of put an end to that somehow
0: that's (laughs) a really interesting part of history i think that 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 even happened but i think it happened here too i think it happened in the states because they always had live music playing for movies, and they got really upset when Ralph Peer was started using the same thing, but um, here, and in the 20s, like DeWolf had been doing, and KPM, I think KPM had been doing by then, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, KPM were doing, definitely doing that in the 60s, and DeWolf, I believe, from talking to, to Warren DeWolf, I believe that that his grandfather, who started, Mayor DeWolf, who started mm-hmm. uh, Music DeWolf, the reason he started it was because he thought that in in theatres and cinemas he could earn more money by just traveling around selling records to the theatres rather than paying, you know getting the musicians in and then paying a whole orchestra to play so he'd get a suitcase of records and travel across europe and try and sell these records to theatres and, and that and that kind of started library music
0: yeah great
2: move that's, that's so cool, cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And 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 the, the, the amazing thing is his, his grandson is still running that company now. Yeah, oh, really? he's still it's still an independent company.
0: It hadn't been purchased like by... I know EMI purchased a bunch of stuff, didn't they? Or uh, some other... Some big companies have been per, kind of buying them up, but that's still their own?
1: Yeah, so over here um, definitely EMI own a lot of the great library companies. So they own KPM's, Themes, Conroy, they own... Uh, Selected Sound Color Sound Uh, They've got all those And then you've got Universal That's got Bruton and Chapel, And I think they've got Standard as well Um, So they've got Some really cool stuff But then you've got Dwarf Which is still this Family business You know All these years I mean they're a huge business Don't get me wrong But they're You know They're still owned by The same family Which is um, Incredible really
0: That's amazing Did you go into Eastern Europe at all? Like did you even because I've got, I found a compilation of Polish library music that is really good, <laughs> but it's, uh, I didn't know if you went anywhere outside of Europe at all, or, well, I mean, that would still be Europe, but uh, outside of those main, the main countries.
1: No, we, we, we didn't. We, we were approached by some guys in Turkey who ran uh, the biggest library in Turkey, but we've got, it's too we've much. Got, we, 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 we worked our way through the UK. And then we'd gone to uh, we'd gone to Paris, we'd gone to Rome, we went to Hamburg, um, because uh we want a chapel based in Hamburg. We were in the States, so we, we spoke to uh Ole George, who runs um, or who ran uh, Capital Media Music. And we got back from, from the States and there was these offers to kind of oh, come to Turkey, come to Greece, come and we were like, Whoa. <laughs> 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 That's, that's another movie for another
0: lifetime. <laughs> Part two.
1: I still haven't worked my way through all of KPM yet. You know, I mean, that that's on my doorstep. So, you know, starting to go through Polish jazz libraries <laughs> like, a, like a whole nother lifetime. It's crazy. Some of the stuff that you find looking through people's record collections. You know, um, uh, we're at DJ Format's house and, uh, you know, he's pulling out all these all these records and, oh, I found this one here, I found this one. And he, he had a load of... Um, uh, U.S. Air Force uh, library records. Huh? What are they? You know, and it's uh, and it was a a, a series of records that that the U.S. I'm sure it was the U.S. Air. It wasn't the Army. It was the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And he played these cuts. You know, he was like, "Wow, you know, what's this?" He said, like, I, "I only came across this." You know, and it had like five records. He yeah. said, "I've never seen any since." And it's like, "Wow, man, you know, crazy. <laughs> there's so much stuff that you just you have no idea about."
0: So they might have just been producing those for their own like internal videos or well, films at the time? Exactly,
1: yeah. Wow, yes.
0: that's really cool. Yes. So that's they insane can, to even think about.
1: Yeah, and so if you imagine that every country's doing that, uh, and there's multiple companies that are producing those in every country. You you could go on your entire life and never listen to those.
0: <laughs> it's not even close. Yeah. Yeah.
1: and and also the other thing as well that, you, that 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 you forget about when you're doing this is is that you know you might you might love this this record, but realise that there was only two hundred copies ever made. Half of those have been destroyed or lost. The other half are, are like hidden in a garage or in an attic or somewhere. And then there's ten people that have got pristine copies of it. You know, so really, there's only a handful of copies of these records in the world left. Um, you, you know, I mean, how do you find them? I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't want to be digging for records now because no. it's just a disappointment.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're so expensive now. Like they used to be, at least the theory we came up with, and it seems like 20 years ago, they were really cheap. And I think that's why DJs we're picking them up and finding them really and they're great discovering all this great music and now they're super expensive and much harder to find. Yeah, the, the bubbles burst.
1: Sampling really, really pushed the price out. Once, um, <clears throat> once some of the more high-profile hip-hop producers were using uh, Library, all of a sudden, everybody else was, well, okay, so we've used all of James Brown breaks <laughs> you know, and they now cost a fortune. Where do we go? Okay, well, I found this stuff. This is... You know nobody knows what this is we can use it and then all of a sudden okay everybody knows what that is now so <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I mean what can you do? what can you think I mean the, the, there's people that have got the money to, to pay for it and and if not there's you know comps and reissues and stuff I know you say that the reissues are, are expensive but you know there's there's records like that that, that, that you know the records psychic Ground. no it's the Italian, oh man, well, it's in the film. So you, okay, you're, good. There, but the, I mean, that's that's a, a bonkers record. It's, it's, a, it's an Italian, it's kind of like a psychedelic rock record. Um, I found out the other day that it's Stefano Tarossi and Sandro Brunellini that, that produced it. It's, it's really far out, it's crazy. And the original copies of that are extortionate, like thousands of, of dollars. Um, but there's a reissue of that now. So, you know, you can pick the reissue. I know the reissue is like a hundred dollars or something. So it's an expensive record, but you'll never, ever find Psychic Ground.
0: Psychic Ground. I wrote it down. So yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) I'll
1: I'll send you, I'll send you a link. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a great record, but you're never going to get it unless you get that reissue. So is there one or two records like that you came across that you like,
2: Oh, I wish I could just reissue this.
1: Oh, all the time. (laughs) all the time and 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 libraries as well that that, that haven't quite been reissued properly yet that definitely need to be um there's obvious things like themes international which has got so many good tracks and so many good composers working on those that really that, sh- that should have a comp all in itself you know you could pick you could have a double album of, of brilliant stuff from themes i'd love to do that i'd love to have that um i don't even think we've got anything from themes on this record Oh no, we have, we have. We got one, <laughs> we got one track from from themes on there. But there's yeah, there's some amazing stuff. There's there's stuff, there's stuff on the wolf as well that that some of it's been bootlegged and reissued, but some of it could really do with you know mining and 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 putting together a, a decent series because there was the there was the bite hard thing the comp that they did maybe fifteen twenty years ago now, mm-hmm. um, which is a great comp and it's got some great tracks on it. But there's so much stuff in that catalogue that. You know, you kind of think, well, at least I did, you know, while we were making this, I was kind of going through stuff and going through phases of of liking particular libraries. And I'd, I'd fall in and out of love with libraries really quickly. So I'd, I'd, I'd listen to The Wolf and, and be so into The Wolf for about three weeks. And then I'd, I'd, I'd hang on a minute, what about telemusic? And then telemusic would be the best library I've ever heard. then <laughs> <wish>. And then, <laughs> then you go to Rome and you listen to you know some of the stuff like the octopus stuff and you know there's crazy tracks like um there's a thing called bass modulation by um piero montanari and it's and it's him playing bass and singing through a leslie so you get get this weird sort of warbling vocal this this the singing the bass line he's playing it's like this is the best thing i've ever heard and then the following week you go somewhere else and you hear something else so it's you know there's so much great music that you know it, uh, i mean i'd love to have it all but i'd love to put it all together in one place because um
2: yeah
1: yeah you know it, like i say it's, it's really hard to, to find these these tracks and even with one compilation we haven't been able to include the, the vast
0: it's impossible uh,
1: yeah possible it's just impossible
0: did you get into did you ever fall into that underwater music i keep i've been reading about that and i can't like, I've listened to a lot of the at least clips from a lot of them, and I still don't quite get what the difference is between that and other library music. I mean, do you know what I'm talking about?
1: The no, song, I, I, um, I, I've only heard about this, I, I've never heard anything.
0: I think it's Sven, um, is kind of like one of the big guys, and I think it's mostly because his stuff was used in a Wes Anderson film. But he's got a, it's a really cool album, I wish I could remember the name, I'll send it to you. Um, uh, but it's like this series of and it was. Like its own subgenre of just what was called underwater music, and I don't, I don't get it. I, I mean, it's good, but I don't understand what the difference is.
1: It's not uh, it's, uh, Sven Liebig. is not the guy that did um, Solar Miss. Is it Solar Mist?
0: He did Solar Something. I think that's right. It is. Um, I didn't think it was Mist, but maybe that's one of the fifty he did. Um, and he's like an Australian guy, I think.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, so he did Inner Space, didn't he? That's the one.
0: That's the one I (laughs) was trying to think of. Yeah, Yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and
1: what's the other one he did? Uh, Oh, Solar Flares, that's the one.
0: Solar Flares.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's that's a great record.
0: Yeah, Uh, both of those are really good, but uh, the Inner Space one is the one that Wes Anderson used, or uh, I think Mark Mothersbaugh is the one who grabbed him, but like five tracks from that are used in the Life Aquatic movie. Oh, Wow.
1: So the underwater thing so they're, they're using that that inner space when i when i search that that's what comes up
0: yeah but i don't know to, i mean it's it's a great album but i don't know it's not like the music is being played in a in a tank or an aquarium or something it's it's music you know <laughs> so i don't i don't understand <laughs> it. i was hoping maybe you would uh, be able to tell me about that
1: no unfortunately not <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, um yeah, I, although I've seen that Inner Space record in the flesh, I've never heard it, in, I've only heard it off of YouTube. I've never actually, uh, I, we, we interviewed a guy called uh, DJ Cherry Stones, who's a real avid collector and, and has some of the most amazing library and uh, has been collecting since, I think since the early 90s. Um, and he had that on the side, he just had, as part of his collection, it was just that Inner Space was there. And so I, I, I asked him about it. He said, oh yeah, you've got to listen to that, it's a great record. And so I quickly jotted it down as I did throughout all of these interviews, you know, I quickly write my hand, you know, when somebody mentioned something and then go and check it later. So I've listened to it on YouTube and seen it in the flesh, but but yeah, I I didn't get the impression that it was underwater. Right. So I can't, I can't. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Ah, oh well. (laughs) There's all kinds of genres, I guess I probably don't understand, but that was one of them. I was hoping to figure out.
2: Is there anything else that you'd want to say? I mean, I don't think we have a huge audience, but I think everyone who listens to our show will want to see the
1: movie and uh, hopefully buy the record. How did you come across the film anyway? What was the... uh...
0: We were working on an episode about the history of library music. Like like I said, we've been wanting to do it for like a year. And so I was just doing as many searches as I can. And all of a sudden the book came up. So I bought the book. It was probably over a year ago that I saw something about the movie mentioned maybe in Reddit, on Reddit somewhere. And I was like, when the when is this movie coming out? Is it still being made? What's going on? And so I was kind of aware of it in the background, and then all of a sudden I was doing some more searches, and there it came. Um, so got super excited about it.
1: Well, I hope it lives up to uh, to all the excitement. I mean, we. We've I do t- too. You're about, under a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah. I,
1: funnily enough, I, I I feel the pressure. You know, it's uh it's it's funny because um the the whole time we've been making this this film, I've, I you know, it's just been this thing that we've been doing, you know, we, we, we've had no budget whatsoever, you know, so it was literally, can we afford to get on the train or, you know, or the fuel for the car to get to this interview? You know, we luckily we've got some cameras, we've got some lights, we've got, you know, some kit and, uh, you know, it literally was, have we got the money to get there? And yes, we have. Okay, let's do it, you know. And, and when somebody calls you or emails and says, I'm up for, in, up for being interviewed and being in your film, you, you know, you just go and do it. And because it's taken so long and it's been, you know, the, the three of us have, have had such a good time making it and visited all these amazing places and met these amazing people and, you know, spent time with uh, with these guys that you would never imagine you would even meet, you know, let alone spend the afternoon with or the, or the day with, um, you know, and going to these studios and, and whatever else. There's been no pressure whatsoever. And even with the, you know, the, the teaser being out there, and you know, it's it's amazing. There's I looked today. There's thirty six thousand people that have viewed it of You know, thirty six thousand views on Facebook of, of this of this teaser trailer, and that's like really incredible for a, for a, such a, a niche subject. You know, for something that that we've made. You know, is 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 quite overwhelming, and 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 there's a lot of people that are waiting for this and have have waited a long time now. So so all of a sudden there is a uh, you know this pressure of about. Actually this has got to happen and, and you know people wanna see this and people wanna hear this record and, and you know kind of find out more about these people that are in the film and it's 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 quite incredible, you know, it sort of dawned on me recently that, that this is really something, you know, it's not just you know, a project that that we've made for us, it's it's actually for you know, for other people. There's people that, that are waiting. Yep. Which is, which is a, 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 you know an amazing an amazing feeling, but also quite nerve wracking yeah. as well. <laughs>
0: but there isn't Imagine. there isn't really like any pressure because people who mm-hmm. love the music are just going to be so excited, no matter what's in it. You've got interviews with people that I've been wanting to hear talk. You know, so there isn't really much pressure. I would say, I would think, because there's nothing else like this. I think it's going to be it's going to be great, unless you just covered up with like Speedy Gonzalez vocals or something and there's no real talking wait till you see one movie you always bring it back did you how many records did you pick up during the three years like that you wouldn't have that you wouldn't have purchased otherwise you think you know
1: I, i was i was really good i actually didn't i actually didn't buy any records which, uh, which, which every every library fan and and record collector, it kind of like looks at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, uh, but I actually didn't get any records. We didn't go twenty places where I could have bought records, actually, if I'm thinking about it, because we always went to either a recording studio or um, a record collector's house or uh, a, you know a, a composer's home studio or house or whatever. So there wasn't actually any records there that. Um, that I could purchase. However, there was a lot of records that I could have taken. I was going to say, did not, you
0: did you nick any? Like you were in school,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I couldn't
0: do it. How I
1: mean, some of these some of these collections that these that the composers had, you know, because they'd just be given a, a mint record that they were on, and, and some of them still had these the, wow. these collections. Um, I remember I remember Dave Richmond, the, the, the bass player. Um, he said, "We said, have you got any? Still got any any of your old records? Oh yeah, hang on a minute, I'll just go out to the garage." So he, he walks out and comes back with a box of records and sort of throws them down. And there's all these amazing, amazing records that we, we've never seen. We, you know, we're sort of going through these. Wow, look at this one. Oh yeah, I did that with so and so. And oh, that's Midas Touch. That's a record that I did with these guys. And you know, it was really quite incredible. And then there was there's a there's a there's a track on the um on the lp uh, that the dj johnny basil chose it's like a german kind of i wouldn't say it's disco but it's kind of an up-tempo type thing and i couldn't find it anywhere couldn't find many references of it on the internet i'd never seen this record um but it was his choice so i had to try and find it so I, I got on the phone to the guys at EMI and, and said, look, do you know anything about this record? Have you got it digitized? Because most of their catalogs digitized now. So they did search, no, we, we, we don't have that digitized. So I said, ah, okay, have you, got, have you got the master tapes for it? Oh, we've got the masters, but they're in the storage elsewhere and we, we, you know, we're not going to digitize them So I was you know, maybe planning to digitize it myself so that we'd have it. Uh, and then one of the guys found a mint condition copy of the LP Unopened, never been played. So on, say, found oh, me. I've got this copy of this this record that you're after. So, oh great, can I come and get it and 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 digitize it myself? Oh yeah, no worries. Come up. So, I got this brand like I, I was the first person to play this record from 1977 or something. And that's kind of like phenomenal. You know, this has never yeah. been before. You know, this. That's, how did so rare? How did the uh, DJ Johnny Basil. Okay, how did he even know of it? I mean, you'll find out in the film, but this guy, okay. been, oh, okay. he, he was probably the first person to, to dig library records. Okay. Um, it, it turns out that he was he was collecting library in the 80s. Um, he didn't really know what it was. It was just like these sort of nondescript, weird records, but he was working at, at uh, swap meets and record fairs and things like that, and, uh, and was finding these records and, and, and sort of stockpiling them, finding these weird film uh, soundtracks and stuff, and it was Italian Library, mm-hmm. um, you know, because a lot of a lot of those library records would be released as the soundtrack and also as a as a library. So he he'd find these records, and he, and he had some amazing records while we were there. He he had all these these Ebonite records that that were that were library, but they were cover versions of pop music, and uh, you know, and they were like like ten inch yeah. disco versions of things that were library, and he had some stuff that that I've never seen and Nobody else has, and this this record was one of them. He, he he had the original copy of that Psychic Ground record as well.
0: Oh really? Oh. Okay. Yeah yeah. Okay. But um, why didn't he give you a copy to digitize of that one?
1: Because he's in uh, he's in um, Huntington Beach. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So he's he's closer to you than he is to me.
0: I assumed he was in the <laughs> states because it was Basil and not Basil.
1: Really, we say we say Basil, but because yeah. everybody in LA was was saying, "Oh, have you seen Johnny Basil?" <laughs> you know, so we, we, we just started calling him Johnny Basil, but um, yeah. he's he's an amazing DJ and, and, and he's a really really lovely guy and and uh, great interview. He looks he looks like a, a rock star. I mean, he kind of is a rock star, but he 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 plays he plays library and he plays um he plays like kind of um, disco type stuff and funk stuff. And he was uh, he's part of the Rendezvous. Uh, crew of of, uh, of DJs. He's he's one of them. They're a great bunch of guys, um, and they you know they put on pretty much as far as we could find the only club night that's the soundtrack and library in the world. It's a monthly night where people come and listen to that kind of music, and it's incredible. We were lucky enough to to, to, to go to that when we were in LA, and um, it's just such a great vibe. You know, everyone's everyone they all watch a, a horror movie first on the screen and then the DJs get up and play and then you've got, you know, visuals from Italian horror and stuff. It, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing.
0: That's um, a great yeah, idea. And,
1: yeah, and, and, and John Bays was part of that crew. So, um, yeah, that's how that's how we got him in the film. Yeah, and it's, it was great because, you know, the, you're listening to, like, the greatest music that's ever been made and you've never heard it. You know, yeah, a, lot, yeah. a lot of this stuff is 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 old music, but it's so new because you've never heard it. You know? yep. And it's is far better than everything else that's, that's, that's currently happening, in, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like a whole new world. I mean, you you, you know, it's just, you yeah. know, it's one of the best things about collecting records and listening to music is that there's always something new that you're going to love as much as anything else. You just got to put yourself in a place to find it. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. A lot, of the, a lot of the interviews, you know, we'd, we'd interview for an hour or for an hour and a half and then we'd spend three hours listening to records because, you know, you talk about something in an interview and, and then, and you know, you'd see you'd see the guy pull it out and kind of leave it on the side and then you'd speak about something else and he'd pull it out and show you the sleeve and then break yeah. it out. Yep. And then at the yeah. end of the interview, you've got a stack of 20 records and he'd, all he wants to do is, is play them to you because, you know, you've been talking about them and, and you've never heard them and it's got the best drum break or it's got that crazy mandolin or, it's you know, or whatever it is. that You know, the, the vocal through the Leslie, you know, with the, with the bass, yeah. you know. There's so many incredible snippets. You know, the, the track might be two minutes long, but it's, it's like a crazy two minutes that you're never gonna hear again because only that person has that record. You know, and unless he's gonna, unless he digitizes it and, and zips you a copy over, you're never gonna hear it again.
0: Just being able to hear it once, even if you don't get a copy, that's often kind of even even cooler. Like I got to hear this, yeah. and there isn't a there isn't a digitized copy, and I'm never gonna see a physical copy. That's kind of fun. Yeah. It's like a yeah. catch, and, catch and release of a whale.
1: There's a yeah. There's, there's there's one record actually that I almost bought. Going back to your last uh, question, or a quick couple of questions back. There's a seven inch record. and I can't remember if it's library or not. It might just be a private press. And DJ Format pulled it out, and he's and he was playing me drum breaks. Oh, you're interested in drum breaks? Wow. You know, was going through these. And I found it, and it was so expensive that I couldn't buy it. It was. It, a great track, and I had it on my phone on the on the link because something you know, the guy that was sending it, had had uploaded it, so I could hear it and everything. But it was it was extortionate, so I didn't buy it. What was it? You know, I can't remember. I can't remember. Okay. I tried to forget about it because okay. it so <laughs> and and I couldn't. <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't ask Format to to, to digitise it for me because that would just be too rude, you know.
0: Oh right, yeah. <laughs> let them volunteer to do that but don't ever ask we really appreciate you oh, this is so awesome this was... thank you so much for taking your time and
2: and this i feel like i mean it's just incredible <laughs> really <laughs> oh. appreciate your
0: time thank you and please
1: well, no problem. thanks for asking me
0: thank um please thank sean and john for us for making help for the three of you for making this this is really something i'm excited about
1: i will do thank you so much yeah. Oh, no, thanks. Thanks very much. I, I appreciate you uh, you asking us uh, to do this, and and thanks for buying the record.
0: Oh, of course. Uh, oh, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And if and if we can't get you, you know, the, the DVD will be around at some point, so I'm sure you'll be able to get hold of that. I know it's yep. not the same as, as as being in the you know the theater, but you know it's the it's the next best thing, I guess. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate you uh, asking us to come on and, and do this um, and, and, and supporting the film. So, uh, yeah, no, I really appreciate it. All right. Absolutely. Good luck with All everything
0: right, well. and, and get, over, get that thing over to the States.
1: A couple of guys right at the beginning of this process thought it was music that you would get in a library. You know, it's like, why are you making a film about music you rent from the library?